Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, the show's host, and on this podcast, we talk about the complicated place of healthcare. So I kind of liken it to a 30,000 piece puzzle, and every single one of our guests basically gets to share their piece of the puzzle and how we can learn from one another. So excited to share our guest today. Latoya, can you please take a moment to introduce yourself? Thank you, Joy. My name is Latoya Ogier. I am the director at Optum Advisory. I'm a nurse executive by background. I have over 17 years of experience in nursing practice as well as nursing leadership, leading operations more recently on the care continuum spectrum. So I deliver care management subject matter expertise, both on the inpatient and ambulatory care settings. I am the lead director for ambulatory care management here at Optum, as well as audit and compliance. Happy to be here. Yes, I'm happy you're here too. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about your journey? I'd love to know, like, did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yes, you know, I became a nurse when I was 19 and licensed practical nurse. So I feel like I've always known that I wanted to be in nursing. I attributed to even growing up in Jamaica with my grandmother who had diabetes and helping her with her insulin at a young age. When I migrated to the United States, I started working at a children's home, taking care of children with physical and mental disabilities. And that led me into becoming a a licensed practical nurse. And I went on to complete my registered nurse degree. And I am now a doctorate scholar. I completed my doctorate in nursing practice in 2021, and that focus one was on healthcare systems leadership, and that's what I'm doing right here at Optum today, transforming healthcare for patients, families, and the communities. Something that I'm very passionate about, and I find a lot of value in making an impact and touching the lives of different patients, no matter what illnesses they have, but just developing programs that can advance the way we deliver care and help promote wellness in the community is something that I'm very passionate about. Now, can you tell me a little bit about the difference between nursing and nursing executive? Like how are your how is your world different 
with those two different titles? Yes. So clinical nursing, you're typically at the bedside, but not often. There's so many different disciplines of nursing, but you're actually delivering patient care. Whereas nursing leadership and executive, you have a seat at the table to make policies and inform decisions that enable better delivery of care to patients and also oversee the financial, the business aspect of nursing, whereas someone at the bedside, they're not that involved in it. And so what are some of the conversations, I guess you mentioned earlier about community involvement. So I would love to know more about how you have gotten involved in some of the decisions that either involve the community or affect the community, you know, either on a policy side or something that I'm not even thinking of. Sure. So I'm a member of the American Nurses Association and I sit on their Innovation Advisory Committee, where we work together as a collective to look at how we deliver care for registered nurses throughout the country, as well as advanced practice nurses. On this committee, we focus a lot on looking at innovative ways that we can transform care delivery. And this piqued my interest because before I came to Optum, I was working for a public health system in New York, and I was overseeing their care transitions, care management, and community-based side of care delivery. During that time, we also experienced the COVID pandemic, and we stood up the isolation hotel program in New York City that served over 35,000 people during the pandemic. And if you think about innovative ways of care delivery, that's a perfect example because we didn't have that ability to transition people to a hotel to take care of them there. But the pandemic made us think, you know, innovative as how we can decompress the hospitals who were so overburdened during that time. Wait, wait. So can you explain that in a little bit more detail? You guys started using hotels? Yes. So we implemented, I want to say during the different surges of COVID, I think we went up to as much as seven or eight hotels throughout New York City. And that serviced most of the health systems within that area. And we worked with hospitals to look at how that transition would be for people who are in the hospital, but not critically ill, where they are, you know, afraid of going back home with their family members to spread COVID, that they could go to a hotel to get isolated for a period of time before going back home. And that helped to decrease the total number of people in the hospital who didn't have a place to go because they were too scared to go home to their families. That's such a smart solution. And I'm sure that at the time, the hotels weren't being used for travel, so it helped them as well. And then did the nurse and staff come visit the folks that were in the isolation? Or were they left to themselves to then like have a period of time and then they go home? Yeah, it was more isolated. So they couldn't have visitors, but we had clinical teams on site that did rounds and assessment to make sure that they're safe. They got meals and it was more of a step, you know, care delivery step that's downgraded from a hospital, but not too upgraded where it's in an acute setting where we had full services like you're in the hospital. But I would say... For sure, they were safe. They received their meals. It was an amazing program. It was published. If you want to look up, read out, read more about it. The health system in New York is very, it was an amazing program. That's incredible. Now, you spent some time in the military too. Is that correct? Yes. We have a partnership and 
with logistics help that provides vaccines for military members throughout the country. So our company, Ajir Professional Nursing, had that partnership with them. So we provide nursing services. So we'll get all the vaccines. We'll go to the military bases and provide their vaccination and their annual wellness visit, similar to how they would get vouchers to go to the VA or their physician practices. Such a lean event, we could vaccinate over 300 um, service members in a, in a shift, which is just amazing. But Anything working with the military, there's structure, there's processes in place. It's a great experience. And I get to travel throughout New York State as well to the different bases and even to the Air Force bases as well, which is very interesting. So I did that a couple of years back and helped support the education, onboarding, recruitment for um, nurses who wanted to um, join the agency. I mean, you must have learned so much. It sounds like you have a really like wide range of experience and perspective. And I'm really curious. I'm really curious about the Jamaica aspect. Do you go like? Do, how do you compare what you experience here in the U.S. versus the healthcare system in Jamaica? That's just personal question. So healthcare Jamaica is a third world country. So I, I believe healthcare in Jamaica, you utilize it when you really, really need it. I think there's more intentional use to go to your doctor if you're ill and then only go to the hospital if you're really, really ill versus here, what I see is a different shift where, you know, if you're not feeling so well, you just go to the hospital. And I think part of that is because we're a third world country in Jamaica, it's very hard to pay for healthcare. And um, most people, they don't even have health insurance. So when you're ill, you, you have more barriers that you have to overcome in order to receive the services that you need. Growing up as a child in Jamaica, my I, I can see my grandmother who had diabetes and how she navigated the healthcare system in Jamaica. And, you know, most often she would go to her doctor only when she's really, really ill that she would go um, into the hospital. And she even died at home. She didn't want to go to the hospital when she, at the end of her illness. She didn't want to go to the hospital when she was really, really ill. She said she wanted to go back home. And that's what we did. And she died at home. So it's more of having all the resources that you need in Jamaica. Because, for example, when you go to the hospital there, some of the hospitals, they're public hospitals. So they don't have a lot of wound care supplies and stuff that we take for granted here in the United States. So all of that comes at a cost. And some of the time you're bringing most of the stuff that you have from home while you're in the hospital to use. Are you serious? Only the more expensive hospitals, like if they're privately owned, that you can get, you know, most of the supplies and, and stuff that's part of the bill. And then you end up paying for it. Wow. Okay. So that I have a lot of questions about. Like, do you know, I live in Mexico, by the way, and I'm the way that it works here sometimes is that there's like, if you want to get an x-ray or if you want to see a doctor get like a cut bandage, there's a, a menu of options and it'll tell you this is exactly what the cost will be. And so you kind of pay in advance of getting the work done. Does it, is it similar in Jamaica? That yes, if, it's similar where you have to pay up front for the stuff that you need. Whereas here, I feel like you have the abundance of getting all of that and then you get the cost at the end. Uh -huh. And this is just my experience from when my grandmother went to the doctor or went to the hospital, what she experienced that I'm sharing. And then, okay, yeah, but did she bring, like, how would you know what to bring if they don't have wound care supplies? 
to know to bring well, your own care supplies in the hospital. They do have those things, but it comes at a cost, like you mentioned. So uh-huh. that you have everything. Sometimes it's best to bring what you have from home so you continue to use that in order gotcha. to decrease driving up the cost. It's not saying that they don't have those supplies there. They do. Okay. <laughs> you want to make sure that you know you use what you have until you can pay for what is being charged. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious also about your perspective on the U.S. system too, like from an outsider's perspective, not outsiders, like just from a different perspective. Do you, what do you feel like we're getting right? Or like, what is the, like, we hear a lot about how much improvement our healthcare system needs, but maybe we can focus on what we're doing well for a minute. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, even taking, for example, United Health Group in our company, we go in and help to look at processes and identify gaps in service delivery and care delivery. And then you leverage our technology to ensure that we are provided the best care possible. So there's so many different nuances in healthcare, you know, access to care from the minute you walk through the door, what is the expectation for that clinical workup to then transition into you getting admitted? And then while you're admitted, what does that pathway look like to get discharged back into the community? And even while you're in the community, what does that look like to keep you in the community? So (laughs) there's a lot of different nuances to that. And sometimes it goes perfect where you're in and out, you go through the emergency room, You can quickly diagnose and say, this is what's happening. We can quickly put interventions in place to treat your issue and you get discharged. But then there's sometimes when there's additional workup that's needed because we're humans. We don't actually have a blueprint that this is what works for everybody across the board. And I think that's where that variability in care delivery is where if we could bottle the solution, (laughs) we'll be really, really innovative and able to do some great things in healthcare for sure. I feel like you're okay. So United Healthcare and Optum is such a big organization for somebody who's not familiar. And it just feels like this big thing. How would you help them understand what the organization does? Because you guys do a well, lot. I think it goes back to our mission. And I think for large organizations, if you're able to speak confidently about our mission and for a company like United Health Group, Health Optum, our overall mission is to transform care for patients, families, community. It's really to ensure that we're given the best care possible and also to reduce the cost of care. Most of the, the work that we do, especially on the Optum side, even the projects that I'm leading, ties to how we can reduce utilization. I'm the lead director for Amnesty Care Management. Two of our key outcome measures in that space is to reduce readmissions and ED utilization for people in the community who are part of our program. And then for care management is how to ensure that patients who get admitted to the hospital, that they meet medical necessity, that we're reviewing and the utilization is accurate, that then factors into how the claims get processed And then how do we, on the clinical side, make sure that we're not causing harm and that we're performing top of licensure, following standards, regulations, and practices to ensure that we're delivering safe care? That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of responsibility and like a a great mission, too. Do you guys focus mostly on software? Like, Is it a technology and software that you utilize to help you do the job? That you do? So in my space, for example, ambulatory care management, we use Optum performance analytics. That is the 
technology that we use to pull um, patients and do some risk stratification to group them into registries and identify who out of this population of patients are high risk or who are the population of patients who are rising risk that needs care management services in the community that we can now help them move their care towards one that they're self-managing, that they're more apt to you know, being more stable versus going through periods of exacerbations where they now return over and over to the hospital. So we use that. We also have a platform for clinical documentation called Optum Care Coordination Platform. And that's where our team of clinicians go in and um, ensure they're doing their outreach encounters, their clinical documentation, as well as communication between providers and um, integration with between the electronic health record. And the ones that you're helping them to connect with resources available in the community, are you actually, I mean, you guys are in all 50 states, is that accurate? Yes, we are in also international and global. So we have multiple teams, but for example, one of our clients that we currently partner with, we have find help that's linked within our Uptum Care Coordination Platform. So that individual that we're care managing, we're able to look at their geographic location and then match them to whatever is within their geographic location. So if it's a food pantry or a doctor or a clinic or, you know, social assistance, you can use that um, technology to, it's called Find Help, to connect that individual with resources around them in the community. Now, that is something that I'm particularly interested in because I feel like it must be a huge resource, like a huge database of resources that are available in communities all over the country and world. And so what a huge asset that must be to be able to, to identify, okay, regardless of where you live in a city or a rural, you know, community, here is where you can find the support that you need. And like, that's amazing. That's amazing that you guys have that. Can you tell me more about how you see the role of data and technology evolving in nursing and healthcare? Like, how do you see that changing over? I mean, a lot has happened even in the last couple of years. What do you see coming up? I see a lot of trend towards automation and using technology to create processes that's going to lessen the burden of clinicians and put them where they need to be, which is at the bedside in front of the patient, taking care of the patient and delivering care. So I foresee that for sure. I'm a member of the Visionaries Committee from Applied Intelligence from Informatech. We actually have roundtables with people in the Applied Intelligence space that discuss trends for healthcare technology and what's happening. So this is a very important topic. And I, I believe also with value-based care coming on the, the it should be now, but, you know, it's ongoing getting health systems, practices, private entities on board with what that looks like. I see a lot of focus on how we deliver care and measuring to make sure that we're seeing the impact of care delivery. So a lot on how we can showcase in data how we're doing, whether it's quality of care whether it's improvement in health outcomes and 
one big one is health equity as well. And how do you measure that? That's tricky. I feel like there's a lot of work streams right now looking at what the health equity roadmap is and even how to implement that in organizations. So however we can leverage technology to at least do that initial scan of that assessment to identify where the gaps are and whether it's a social determinants of health assessment that can group populations together and highlight that, you know, this population, they have an issue with food insecurity versus this one needs housing. I think that's where if we could, you know, create processes to identify those different populations and then put interventions together to drive positive outcome for those populations, then it would be great. And I think we're already doing it. It's just that it's happening in multiple different entities. So I don't think there's like one solid roadmap so far that just owns it, really. And maybe it's going to be us at Optum that leads leads the way for that, for sure. Yeah, it'd be be great to see who's doing it best and if they're creating a model that other people can follow or organizations can follow. You said earlier about the automation and seeing that as the future. There are a lot of people that are afraid of losing their jobs. Do you think that like there is the fear aspect of automation or is it really, do you see it as a tool that's going to help people do more with less? How I see it is twofold. I think it's a tool that you're going to use to enable people to do more with less because you're taking the burden. So you're giving up something for something else. But while you give up a piece of your workflow so that part is automated, then you can really have time to deliver the best care possible. And I think that's where we run into trouble where we find gaps in care is because we're so burdened delivering care. And I can just speak to myself as a clinician when I was a nurse practicing, you know, to manage six, seven patients and provide excellent care where you're following standards across the board from A to to Z and not doing little workarounds to get around, it's very hard. But if you have automation that can pull out those opportunities where you find the nurse deviating and doing workarounds just to get get by, then that nurse will be 100% delivering care with, without any gaps, without any unsafe issues, without any incidents, because you have that time and that ability now to do that. So that's how I see it. When you think about your own experience of you know delivering care at the bedside, what are the areas that you would have really liked to have support in that type of automation? Like, is there something you can help me paint the picture for our listeners? Okay. Yes, I would say automation in when patients are being admitted, you, there's a lot of rework and re-information that you have to update, but it's the same information. If all of that could be automated where we just go in and verify, that takes away so much time. And maybe it's happening now with some health systems, but that was one pain point for me. I remember when I compare how efficient we are with the military versus practicing as a nurse, it's completely different because when the service members come in, they come in with a flash drive and all of their information is on that flash drive. By the time they come to us for a vaccine, all we do is plug it in our computer, everything comes up, we verify, we scan the vaccine, you give the vaccine and you're done. That's like, that's registration, everything all in one. Versus when you're in the hospital, 
you have to go through registration, you have to get inputted into the system, then you get through the nurse to get assessed, then you get admitted. So there's like different, so that five, 10 minutes that we did with one service member, even if you show up to get vaccinated at a clinic, you still have to go through all those processes that takes time. So that's one example of automation that can really cut down on certain things versus going through those other steps that, that takes time. But you also wanna be safe, right? When we're dealing with people, human beings, we wanna make sure that we're safe. So I think that's why there are certain things that's in place for safeguards. But I, I strongly believe that automation is the future. Yeah, I know people are gonna be concerned about jobs. What I would say there is let's, if we're implementing automation, and we have a, a core team of individuals that used to do some of the work that we're lessening, then let's add to what they're supposed to do that that's going to drive value as well. It couldn't be that we're taking this away and then completely Im- eliminating your role. You, you're a human being. You probably still have a lot of value within your role. So let's maximize on that to get you to the, the top performance level. And I can't imagine that things that take the most of time and are super tedious are anybody's best use of their work time. You know, I can't imagine that transcribing information that's put on a clipboard into the computer is the best use of time. If there's a way to make that happen faster, let's do it. (laughs) It's called non-value adding. So again, that's how I see it as a clinician through the clinician's lens. I see it as let automation do all the non-value added activities and then let the clinicians do the value added activities that we know is going to drive positive outcome for a patient, eliminate unsafe practices and eliminate waste. Yeah. And the other part is to maintain security, right? And you had mentioned the thumb drive with the military. And I I have an example where... I went to the equivalent of like the DMV and here in Mexico, and they have a a system where I had to put in my thumb drive that give them a specific piece of information about me and about my community for the project that I was trying to work on. And all of my like tingles went up around how this could be unsafe because they request this thumb drive from every citizen who's coming in for this particular activity. And I thought, Oh, everything that has told me about the hip, you know, HIPAA privacy and security rules and making sure that we can't just like insert, you know, malware via a thumb drive into the computers. Like that's actually a significant risk, less of a risk on the military side of things, I'd imagine, because people have a level of clearance. But being able to do that with the actual public, you know, you can't then you have a whole conversation around data literacy and technology literacy and and ill intent that could come in and it gets super complicated really quick and like you know in healthcare there's ways that it could be done faster but you have to take into account security safety do no harm all of those things and patient outcomes of course at the top of that list it's a challenge. I mean, I've never seen the, the thumb drive in actual care, only with the military. And like I said, their level of clearance, even the computers that we use, even onboard. And I know because I was in charge of recruiting and onboarding, you go through a very rigid process. Even just getting onto the military basis is not just like driving your car through. So right. a little bit more secure, like extra, extra secure and safeguards in place. But with healthcare as a whole, though, I believe, you know, multiple health systems, 
I think they do their due diligence to ensure that the privacy and, you know, confidentiality and that we're we're being really safe with information. I think that's going to be a challenge as we look to the future and in, implement automation is ensuring that we still adhere to the regulations to safeguard confidentiality and privacy and all those safety laws that's out there to, to regulate the industry, for sure. There's a lot to do. That's all, like at the end of conversations, I just think, oh my gosh, there's so much work to be done. Like none of us should really be worried about job security to a degree because there's so much to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Latoya, I want to say thank you for spending this time with me. It's been a pleasure to get to know you. And if somebody wanted to connect with you or follow your journey or your work, where would you point them? Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Latoya Ogier. I'm also the co-executive sponsor for the Society of African-American Professionals here at Uptum Advisory, and we host monthly meetings. So I always try to make my point to join those sessions. So you can find me there. You can reach me by email if you work at Uptum Advisory and need more information about ambulatory care management, audit and compliance. You can also reach out to me and I'm happy to set up a one-to-one call to discuss further. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for all the work that you do and for the time that you spent with me. I feel I'm very grateful. Yes, I enjoyed our discussion as well and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Again, thank you so much for listening to the hit like a girl podcast. I am truly grateful for you. And I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast or maybe leave us a rating or review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All those things help us podcasters out so much. I'm the show's host, Joy Rios, and I'll see you next time.